Welcome to No Small Jobs, the podcast. I am your host, Paul Newen. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, remember to f- uh, rate and review us wherever you get good podcasts. Podcast Addict, iTunes, Spotify, Google. We are everywhere. Five stars, please. Um, you can follow us on our socials. The handle is at No Small Jobs Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure to check out our previous web- uh, websites. Whoops. Make sure to check out our previous episodes as well. Uh, we've got episodes with a hypnotherapist, with nurses, lawyers, librarians, all kinds of interesting careers. Um, and, uh, yeah, make sure you, uh, keep up to date with the news. We'll have various postings and about, uh, upcoming episodes. Today we have Philly. Philly is a professional pole dancer. Hey, Philly, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. All right. So, um, how did you come to be a professional pole dancer? Uh, well, um, it's actually quite a simple story, but it's probably a long one. Um, but I started with, um, my sister, we were really interested in pole dancing about, uh, probably about 10 or 11 years ago. And I'm, was, I was very impressionable and I just went along with her cause I wanted to do everything with her. And we got addicted to this amazing sort of sport dance kind of self-expression sort of thing. And it was such a phenomenal community. Um, and after a year, I think, of being a student, uh, she moved uh, interstate to pursue a career as a vet and I got asked to teach and it kind of just went from there. What was it about you that inspired you to do pole dancing at all? Like, like, so you, you saw it and you, you fell in love with it, but what was it about it that interested you in the first place? Uh, in the first place, honestly, I hadn't heard a lot about it. It was quite new then. It was about, what, 2008 or nine, um, probably eight. Um, and, yeah, it was quite new. This um, pole divas that we started at had only been around for a couple of years and it was just something so new and exciting. And my sister was a dancer. Um, she did ballet for a really long time. And like I said, I was just really impressionable. I've got a background in music and um, it kind of combined, combined something that we both really enjoyed um, yeah, and just really lucky that, I don't know, we were both quite good at it, so <laughs> luckily. <laughs> so what what is your musical background exactly? Um, I'm just a nerd. I was like school music captain and I studied um, music in high school and then I was in a couple of terrible, terrible bands. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was about it. Thank God I found pole because, <laughs> yeah, the musical career would have never taken off, let's be honest. I mean, before before becoming a professional pole dancer, had you ever considered any other careers? Uh, probably a musician. Yes. Um, I did want to be a journalist. I actually started at uni, um, for about six months, um, of doing journalism at RMIT. So that was going to be, yeah, I wanted to be a writer. Right. And what happened there? Uh, well, I dropped out of uni. So, um, I moved out of home when I was quite young. Um, and I ended up wagging a lot of uni to go to work. I was just working in a cafe at the time and I thought earning money so I could pay rent was more important than my education. Uh, but things turned out okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what does it take to be a professional pole dancer? What does it take? Um, a lot of food to power, <laughs> to power your body. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. What am I meant to say to that? A lot of, a lot of tenacity. Um, I'm not sure. Like, um, I, I guess flexible hours, I think just like anyone that works um, out of the nine to five, um, it takes a lot of perseverance and drive and you have to know what you want. And I guess a lot of that for most of us, given it's quite a young industry, comes from a lot of trial and error. So we're all still working out what works and as the industry evolves, there are new job opportunities that um, arise in the industry, which is just fantastic, which is what um, I really love about what we do. So what kind of things can you do within the pole dancing industry? 
Um, nowadays, there's a lot of roles. We've got people that um, host poll retreats and poll camps. They run poll expos, which is um, like big workshop days um, full of international and touring instructors. Um, people run competitions. People uh, just compete. Um, at an amateur, semi-pro and professional level, we now have a national competition eligibility standard, um, which our industry's um, created in 2016. So like I said, we're kind of really learning as we, we're going. So um, there's a lot out there. Um, I this year have launched um, the Miss Philly Institute, which is uh, a business that I created um, to fill a need that I thought that there was in the industry, which um, no, I believe there is in the industry, um, where instructors can be more supported and um, trained um, in how to teach pole dancing and also support um, uh, studio owners in like assisting with their syllabuses and um, professionally developing their instructors and bonding their team. That's fantastic. Did you have, yeah. I mean, where do you, where do you learn this sort of thing? Like, do you, is there a, is there a college? Is there a school? Like, I, I, unfortunately, I come from a very, I come from a very, I am like, the college. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, no, no, I, I, no, um, I, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, like, because I, I come from a very, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor by trade, so I'm very used to the idea of the the, the organisation already being existing. So it's really fascinating to me that you, as you said, the industry is quite young, and you are you're building and you're learning as you go along, and you're essentially creating your own standards. Like you're figuring yourself out and and building the foundations yeah. for an industry. That like that's amazing to me. Where do you, how do you figure that stuff out? Where do you get the information from? <laughs> It's certainly very exciting, but like I mentioned, I think I think it's a lot of um, trial and error at first. Um, we sort of see how things are running, and if there are issues, then someone tries to fix it, and and we we're constantly working out different ways to do things better, which is I think um, what makes our industry so amazing and so sort of like trailblazing as well. I think it's I think it's really exciting. Um, I think for me, when I thought of um, the Miss Feel Institute, it came about because um, I was doing a lot of touring and teaching myself, just as you know, Miss Philly doing my thing, um, and I. I would take a lot of lessons with um, uh, teachers that felt like they were either isolated because they were in rural areas or they felt like, um, you know, their studio owners didn't maybe have enough time to develop them or put enough um, work into putting together a syllabus to teach, um, which is perfectly understandable because obviously when you're starting a small business, you've got lots of other things on your plate, um, not just, you know, the, the teaching aspect of it. There's a lot more to do. Um, so I figured why not step in and sort of help those people if I, I had um, gained a lot of experience at the time working at Pole Divas as their director of training. So I was given a fantastic opportunity and, again, that role grew over I think it was the four years that I was in it and it was just fantastic as our um, brand, Pole Divas, grew and we expanded and, you know, we find um, – I don't know, new new ways to deal with things and new processes that um, become apparent as we grow. So it's very organic. Oh yeah, which is which is beautiful. And where where do you see the industry going? How do you see it evolving? Um, I'm not sure actually. It's it's just it, 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 there's so much um, that could change that might change. Especially I know there's a big a big group of um, you know pole dancers across the world that are um, really gunning for pole dancing to be in the Olympics. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that because I'm very much of the, you know, poll is for every woman. Um, and I think just even as a style, like every time um, we have so many influences from other people as they come from different disciplines. So, you know, pole dancers with, you know, gymnastics backgrounds or, you know, capoeira backgrounds or martial arts backgrounds will come in and add their own flair. And um, we all learn from each other on an international level. It's phenomenal. Like the internet is a is a great thing. So I think we've um, we've been able to really run with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, things are, are, are changing quite a lot and who knows where it could go. I mean, do how do you view pole dance in in terms of is it an art? Is it a sport? Is it both? Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to look, thinking about competition. You mentioned they have you got like yeah. a national competition going on. What do you get judged on exactly? Well, um, every competition has its own set of rules and judging criteria. So it will actually be different depending on what stream of competition you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, overseas, um, there are, um, you know, World Pole Sport Federations and um, and big organisations that will run um, almost like a franchise, I guess you could say, of competitions like around America, let's say, um, and they have their old standard judging criteria as well. Um, whereas in Australia, we've got, um, you know, Miss Pole Dance Australia, which is a huge one, which has been running for a very long time, over 10 years, over, uh, yes, I want to say over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um and that's got, you know, a lot more of a focus on um, the creative sort of element. So it's a lot more uh, showmanship is weighted a little bit heavily um, more towards that than, let's say, level of difficulty or if you're um, trickability, let's say. What do you mean by trickability? Because, again, I'm, I'm brand new to this industry, so I don't understand no, the terms. Okay. So, so let's say for a standard poll competition, you would be judged on the level of difficulty of the skills that you're demonstrating. Mm-hmm. So we have tricks and you put those tricks together in combos that are chained together by different transitions that are aerial as well as, you know, acrobatic and, you know, floor-based as well. Um, we have two poles generally that we get given, one that is um, on ball bearing, so it spins when we're on it, and the other one which is a static pole which doesn't spin, but we like to spin on it. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're showing different ways of using our apparatus. Um, We're also judged on the execution of what we do as well. So you might do something that's very difficult, but it might be very messy. So you would be judged, you know, highly on level of difficulty, but quite low on execution. Um, We get judged a lot on our strength and dynamicism and flexibility as well. So you've got to display different um, areas of flexibility, so like back or, you know, splits and things like that, um, as well as strength and endurance. So being uh, dynamic, doing quite, um, yeah, like gymnastic sort of skills, as well as, you know, your typical strength holds, which I think um, people that would be new to pole dance would, you know, have heard of like the human flag, you know, sort of thing. there's a lot of sort of bar um, outdoor fitness workout guys, uh, kind of ex-calisthenics sort of um, women and men that um, have coined a lot of those moves as well. So like I said, it's a mix of lots of different disciplines, sort of judging criteria, I think. I find it interesting, as you mentioned, you know, thanks to the internet and thanks to the fairly, uh, the, the the whole industry being fairly new, it, mixing other dif- different styles into it is really interesting as well. It's, it's, it's dance. I mean, it is what dance is, isn't it? Dance is often about a fusion of styles and how to um, make it as creative and interesting as possible. A hundred percent. And that's what I really love about our industry. If you want to compete, like it's just such a... Um, an opportunity for self-expression like we have time limits in in what we can dance to you might have a three minute time limit or a five minute time limit um you might have criteria that you must meet um there's a great competition called pole theater 
uh, which is actually now run all over the world. Um, and they actually have three different divisions within the pole theatre competition. So there's pole comedy, classique, where you have to remove an item of clothing. It doesn't have to be like ridiculously essential. You can take off a jacket or a glove. Um, mm-hmm. You could do something very burlesque orientated. Um, or you could go a little more old school and take it more into like striptease sort of element. Um, they have a drama category where it's mandatory to tell a story that has a narrative and more of a story arc. Um, and they've got pole art, which is where you have to display a dance style, like a different dance style that's a fusion with pole. So it's really exciting that we've got these competitions that are really embracing all elements of, of dance and creativity. So tell me a bit more. You mentioned earlier about how pole should be for every woman. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I believe that um, th- there's a certain like um, elitist element that I think comes from um, putting a sport in the Olympics. And I feel like um, that's kind of like where that comment stemmed from. But I also believe that because we are a lot of us, you know, very artistic and um, love to create new new and different pieces and ways of moving and um, to really impact and um, resonate with our audiences. Um, that's where I think the, the clinical element of the Olympics is a little bit different. Um, there's a lot of gymnasts in our industry, though, and I understand that, you know, the way they compete um, is very well suited for something channeling into an Olympic sort of um, territory. So um, that's all well and good. Um, but I believe that our industry is great because um, I can invite, you know, my best mate who's sat on the couch for 30 years um, into a class and she's going to feel empowered and be surprised at what her body can do physically and she'll, you know, emotionally come out of her shell and she'll meet new people that are, you know, equally as terrified to take, you know, their tops off and work out in a crop top and, and booty shorts. And um, I really love that about what we do. Uh, you mentioned and I never want that to change. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Accessibility is really important, particularly when you, the, as from the way you're talking about it, there's this sort of uh, emotional, passionate component to it. As I said, empowerment is really key. So you don't really want to limit that to people if you can avoid it, I guess. Yeah, and I think um, with that, you know, accessibility, it's, you know, we're starting these phenomenal communities of, of people of all different, you know, shapes and sizes. Um and I think, I don't know, um, when something has an Olympic stream to it, it may be a little bit more intimidating than it needs to. And I'm not mm. sure um, whether it would be as appealing to, you know, in inverted commas, the everyday woman, which is um, exactly who I as a teacher get uh, immense satisfaction over um, targeting women and women like that. So, so you, you mentioned earlier about uh, Miss Pole Dance Australia, which I understand you've won twice. Which is amazing. Yes. Um, Thank you. How much? How much energy and time did you have to invest into achieving that? Um, it's a lot. I think everyone that um, competes understands that it's a lot of your own time and own resources. Um, we don't have massive sponsorship deals and people giving us bucket loads of money to do what we do on stage. Um, so yeah, definitely um, a lot of time. Um, Obviously, we don't um, directly get paid for competing. If you place, you might be lucky enough to get some prize money or, you know, some sponsors' prizes, and we're eternally grateful for that. Um, But a lot of it comes um, from our own desire to create something and do something. Like I coach a lot of competitive um, pole dancers now, and um, I always say you do it for the people, not the place. So, you know, you don't go in there aiming for first, second or third. Um, you do it for the enjoyment of your audience who's paid a lot of money to come and see you dance on stage. Um, but I feel like um, 
it, it can be really tough because you're putting together something that creatively means a lot to you. And, you know, I've, I've seen my students put their heart and soul into um, shows only to potentially, you know, not get into a competition or not get the result that they wanted. Or um, it's a lot of pressure to put something together for months and months and months. Um, and then have to make everything go right in three and a half minutes <laughs> one time is, is really difficult. And, of course, being judged is always um, a big part of that, especially when, you know, we are so artistic and so creative. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, that, that's nerve wracking for anyone. I don't think anyone particularly enjoys <laughs> being judged, you know. Uh, it, but, well, that's it, the game, you know. Like if we compete, I guess that's kind of just part of it. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it, it's a lot of time and energy. And, of course, we're all, um, you know, trying to work at the same time as train ourselves as well. So physically it can take a really big toll as well. Mm, I mean, so so leading on from that, what do you find are the most challenging parts of your job? Um. Uh, I think uh, physically it's something that, um, I mean, the body's a phenomenal thing and um, we can adapt really well. I remember, you know, when I first taught four classes in a row, I nearly died. Um, <laughs> but now that's, <laughs> that's quite standard. Um, what we do is quite physical. I've always really admired um, pole instructors because we're, you know, doing a full, you know, 10 to 15 minute warm up with our class and we're constantly spotting. We're always on our feet. We dance, which is a lot of cardio work as well. Um and obviously we do a lot of conditioning as well for um, pole dancing specific movement, which is, you know, great. Um, so I guess when you're doing, you know, upwards of six hours a day, that can be really taxing on your body and, you know, we're prone to injuries just like any other sort of sport. Mm. Um, and we're constantly having to prehab and rehab to, to keep our bodies, you know, good enough to not just work but then also do the thing that we like to do for us, whether that be, you know, compete or perform or just train for Instagram <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever. So uh, I understand your work is also taking you overseas as well. You mentioned touring. Yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky to be able to tour internationally and, and um, yeah, teach. It's fantastic. So was, so was it both a performance and a teaching thing or was it just opportunities to be able to instruct others? Uh it, it, it's a constant thing. So, um, you know, next year I'll be traveling to a few different things. Usually, um, it's to like a pole camp or a retreat. Um, I'm doing something in America next year and, um, often, you know, I'm in New Zealand taking classes. Um, sometimes you'll go over to compete in a competition overseas, but then also teach workshops as well. Often you'll be, um, judging a competition overseas and then be teaching workshops, um, as well. So yeah, it's a bit of a combination. So where do you see your career taking you? I mean, obviously, again, as it is a growing industry, it's hard to know where it's going to be in five, ten years. But is is this an ambition that you have? Um, well, I think me personally, um, I was uh, I've been teaching for ten years now. Um, Two thousand and nineteen was ten years of me um, doing full time teaching. Uh, I quit um, a muggle job, as I like to call it, <laughs> to do both full time. Um, very uh, like irrationally at the time. I didn't have a lot of work and I just thought I'd make it happen. Mm. Um, and I'm very lucky I made that call because it, it did. It worked out really well. But obviously, you know, when you don't have a lot of work, it really puts a fire under your butt to do something about that. Um, but I think for me, like as I get older, I'm 32 now and um, teaching and competing for 10 years um, and I'm still competing. So I feel like um, I'm always looking for ways to obviously earn money without having such a physical toll on my body. Um, so I think that's where the Miss Philly Institute came from because it was a way for me to coach and um, train other instructors and impart my knowledge and um, do a little bit more um, 
administrative almost work where I can write, you know, syllabuses for Pulse Studios and um, help them, you know, stay current and up to date as the industry grows as well. So I found that that's been very good um, for my brain as well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also um, just to, uh, yeah, alleviate some of the stress on my body physically. Mm, Fair enough. Uh, has education been a part of, like I said you're, you're a teacher you've been doing it for 10 years you love empowering other women to uh, find their strength Is has education or teaching people always been a part of your, your skill set or part of your passion um, I think it must have been. Um, before I was in Polo, I was a database implementation consultant and my favourite part of that role, and I was terrible at it, um, <laughs> my favourite part of that role was actually educating um, the staff on, you know, the new system. Um, and I always found it really fascinating to see how people learned, how they absorb information, what they do with that information. Um, and, I've, yeah, I always found that really fascinating. So I think um, I've always liked teaching for the same thing. I'm, I, I like puzzles and I like problem solving. And for me, if a student doesn't understand what I'm saying, um, and there's so much to poll, there's a you know a, a cognitive you know element. Of course, they have to you know in theory understand what we're saying, but then in practice, they have to get upside down and do it as well. Mm. And I think that's really difficult. Um, um, I like to see how people yeah um, learn. And so I, I've, I've always found it really fascinating because I'm a big nerd, really, I think, at heart. But, um, yeah, I've, I've always loved that. And I think Paul lets me um, really explore, um, yeah, the kinesthetic learners and the visual learners and, and find different ways to um, express myself so they understand. I think it is a really valuable, this the art of education, the ability to teach someone a skill, you know, because it's, it's one thing to basically read a manual or a syllabus and just tell someone to learn it. But it is, uh, I think, what you do is, is a completely different skill to be able to adapt and learn and to understand people and understand yeah. how they how their brain works and how they can comprehend something. And it's not, it's not a skill that's innate to everyone, but sometimes um, it is expected. So, so I, I look my, again. My only point of reference is medicine, but in medicine, it's quite common that uh, senior consultants will be handed a bunch of students, say, "Here, teach them how to be doctors." But without the actual skill to be able to get into someone's head, to be able to appreciate their perspective and try to work with it, rather than simply just barking orders at them, is really it's quite amazing. And it, I think I actually I, I find it quite impressive that for you as you said it's it was this inherent passion of yours and i'm sure your students benefit from it a great deal <laughs> i hope so I mean, I've, I've always thought it's um you know good communication um for comprehension so there's no point in just you know you know reading out something that someone could read a thousand times or watch a thousand times. It's all about how you communicate it so they actually understand. So, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, I find it really exciting and it doesn't come naturally to everyone, but, um, I have also found that a challenge, um, doing the Institute means that, um, I can try and help people become better instructors, which is kind of like another, um, element to, to what I do now, which, which I'm finding really exciting. Uh, did you ever do any extra training in terms of yeah when when as you said you you help create syllabi, syllabi for other schools did you ever <laughs> syllabi syllabi yes. I know I'm all fancy in Latin um did you ever did you ever do training into that or did you just use your own knowledge and understanding to build that kind of instruction book um well I've done a lot of um like sort of self-education um I did a little bit of uh, like a certificate in training and assessment I think it was mm-hmm. um like a long time ago and I found that very beneficial um I've done you know a cert three in fitness and things like that so I'm I'm, I'm a big advocate in always um 
learning myself. Like, as I said, that there's, there's so many different people in our industry that are, you know, osteos or physios, and there's so many people to learn from myself. So, um, I'm, I always like to, you know, back up and research, um, all the things that I'm writing about. And I would never, you know, tout myself as, you know, the be all, be all and end all to, you know, anatomy or anything, but, um, mm. yeah, I, I, I find it, it's very, very good for my professional development to to educate myself like that. And there's so many resources in our industry um, that are really understanding the movement and, and, and what we're doing. Uh, so tell me a bit more about the documentary you were in back in 2013. Uh, uh, Blood, Sweat and Sequins. Yes. 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 Well, um, that, that was a phenomenal opportunity. Um it marked a time where um, my father in particular was not – um, very impressed with my choice of career. Um, Asian dad was, you know, and and I quote, you can't make a living off the arts, which is why the musical career would have never happened anyway. Um, but he was never super impressed with the fact that I was doing um, pole full time. Um, and um, he was, it was very strong in his, his opinions about that. Um, the, Director and creator, um, Luke Quill, was a pole dancer who I worked with at Pole Divas. Um, she's incredibly creative and she had this idea and she um, brought it to life phenomenally that followed the journey of three different pole dancers on the way to Miss Pole Australia, I believe. And I think that was my f- – oh, I might be lying. I think it was my first time at Miss Pole Australia or second time maybe mm-hmm. in the finals. Uh, so it was a big deal for me. Um, they followed um, – uh, yeah, two, two other women um, who had had a little bit more experience than me. And, it, yeah, it, it's a great story of the personalities behind competitive pole dancing. Um, and it was very relatable to a lot of people that watched it. So in a way I'm really grateful. Um, well, no, in every way I'm very grateful for that opportunity. It definitely um, gave me a lot of exposure. Um, but also I was really humbled by how many people resonated with my story of, you know, parents not approving of what you're doing or, um uh, well, yeah, parents not approving of what you're doing <laughs> and making it really hard for you to follow um, your passion and, and constantly question, um, I don't know, that internal compass, whether you're doing the right thing or not. And I think as you get older, um, we're so conditioned to listen to our parents and um, make sure we're doing, you know, the right thing. But I think as you get older, um, the right thing is such a grey area. So, um, yeah, I was I was really happy that um, I think a lot of people that watched that show, um, even to this day, I get some really lovely compliments about it and how they really enjoyed watching it and you know they cried and all that sort of stuff. Because um, honestly, I, I was so I was very young. Um, it, well, I felt very young in that um, documentary, and it is just me crying in different locations around Australia. But <laughs> as embarrassing as it might have been um, for me in hindsight, um, I, I, I really appreciate. Um, uh, what it did for a lot of uh, people in our industry. I think it was a very important thing. I think, it, I mean, and this is in part why, and obviously not to the scale that you you did, but this is why I, I enjoy these conversations on this podcast because I think there there is, there, there can be sort of this uh, distance between how uh, someone perceives a job to be, whether it be professional pole dancer or doctor or whatever, um, and what the reality of it is. And, you know, it can seem very foreign, but it's always really nice to see that it is just a human experience. Sometimes you, oh. we all share the same story and that all that our paths may have diverged, the motivations and the, the passion behind it can be very <coughs> similar. Oh, hundred percent. And even like though on paper, I am a you know professional competitive pole dancer. Um, in in essence, I'm like you know part therapist, part confident, part you know, um, 
fitness workout person that shouts at everyone. <laughs> so I don't know. I, th- I think it's um, what we do is so expansive and, and very important and very, very human indeed. And I think that's actually what makes our industry so um, successful. It's it's very personable and it's built on community. Um, and obviously, you know, people achieving phenomenal goals like physically and, you know, mentally that they never thought they would achieve. And that's ridiculously satisfying. Um and, you know, also having the advantage of being such a, a young industry, we're able to grow and adapt and um, and really service um, our community the way they need to be. And I think that's just a phenomenal opportunity for me to have. So I'm very grateful. I, I want to go back a little bit to what you're saying about your parents. So so you you can't see this over over this conversation, but I am Vietnamese, and so I also share the same experience of having um, Asian parents who were very committed to the idea of me being in a secure you know profession, as it were. Um, but and then it took you're me a doctor. To- Congratulations. Thank you. I know I I did what they told me, except I got to my thirties, and then I realized, oh wait, I don't want to be a doctor. Um, like I did I did it because I. I thought it was the smart thing to do. And, and you know, it got me a lot of security. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the, the fact that I had this opportunity at all. But um, I'd, I, looking back on my life, I actually had very early aspirations of being a writer. Uh, and and it, I, like, I think back to all the times that, that made me really happy in high school and, uh, and even thinking about what I did, uh, you know, for my uni preferences. And there was a lot of writing in there, but I, I guess I'd never, take it, never taken it really seriously, maybe because I was worried of what my parents would think so i'm always impressed by by someone like yourself who who took their passion went against you know what was expected of them as part of culture or even just just parents not necessarily even like an ethnic culture thing and decided to pursue it so as you said you you kind of fell you obviously you fell into pole by accident and you fell in love with it but at what point what what made you decide to make it a career like what made you decide to give up the security of you know, other industries and just decide because I love this so much, I have to do it all the time. Um, I think, well, um, it, it, it was, it's kind of, um, I don't know. Good question. Um, I, I, I think part, um, balls definitely. Um, but it's somewhat misguided balls. I'm going to say <laughs> as well. Um, I think I was in a job that I had again, fallen into, by luck and I had moved through from you know it it was essentially IT but I was unskilled in IT but it didn't seem to matter I did a a a good job apparently but I got no satisfaction from it um and like I said all, all the satisfaction I got was um from helping people learn and understand how to use systems um and I found myself kind of getting poached by the the people that own the database to become a consultant for them and I said yes because oh you know that's that's what you should do it's progression it's you know we're so conditioned um to progress like that you know from primary school to high school you do well you get to the next level sort Mm. of thing and I think um it was always ingrained in me that you know someone offers you you know more money and more status and you know whatever um then you take it because that's that's how you progress and I had no idea where I was going in in that sort of stream and I was so convinced I was very bad at it and I, and I I do know myself very well and I you know chat a lot to myself just as much as I chat to everyone else <laughs> in my life um and I, I I could just tell I was very unhappy doing what I was doing there was not much satisfaction and um 
I was told I was doing a good job, but I honestly didn't believe it. I just, it was just, it, it became um, quite humorous to me in the end. Um, <laughs> and so I was asked to teach pole and it was something I'd never actually thought about. I hadn't been doing it very long, but obviously I'd shown some sort of um, you know, aptitude. Is that the right word that for it? Right word, yeah. um, and I... I don't know, I I got very seduced by the idea. I mean, the pole dancing industry is very seductive um, in the sense that, you know, there there are such great people that you meet and there are people from all different walks of life and I was so um, stimulated by, you know, the conversations I was having, you know, by people in, in the same way that you love doing this podcast. You're meeting people from all different walks of life that, you know, might have the same drive and all that sort of stuff, but have ended up in such different um, environments. And I just found it so interesting that this one thing that united, you know, these like surgeons and, you know, car salesmen and like housewives and strippers and everyone was, it was coming to learn in this one class and it was just hilarious. So I I just found the world um, very seductive and I wanted to be a part of it. Um, And yeah, I think it was also ego, like just being told, oh, I think you would be really good at this. I was like, well, if someone believes in me, well, off we go, (laughs) we're doing it. And and that was really all it took. And um, I think um, I'm very easily... I wouldn't say I'm easily influenced, but I think I've always cared a lot about what the maternal figures in my life think of me because I probably on a deeper level, I, I like, I don't have a very good relationship with my mother. I don't have one at all. So I feel like I've, um, sort of imprinted on a few other like older women in my, in my life that have, um, led me in the right direction. And so I think, um, I hold what they say in very high regards. So, um, yeah, if they, you know, believe that I could do it, I would, yes, yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. And I, and it did feel right. Like I'm very, um, instinctive like that I'd say you know follow your gut and and whatever happens happens I also believe that there's nothing that can't be undone like if I was to try and be awful at it that you know there's there's always other work out there um you know like waiting tables like I could I was I was really good waitress so (laughs) there was a backup in that sort of sense but I think um my pride um in that sort of, you know, like early 20s rebellion from my Asian father sort of <laughs> pride was it was definitely going to make it work. So I think, yeah, there are lots of different factors that kind of pushed me into doing it and then I think also drove me to try and succeed as best to my ability. But, um, yeah, it was – yeah, it was. It really was the best decision I've ever made, and I think um, I was lucky. I found something that um, I, you know, you know, like I said, I've got a musical background. I, I was never fit or sporty, so you know, I came to this industry with uh, not a lot to offer except for being able to count to eight really well. <laughs> so um, there was that. So I was like, look, you know, like I, I get to embrace, you know, all the music that I want. I can dance to whatever I want. I, you know, I've probably always been incredibly energetic. Like I was a drummer for most of the musical career. So I always like being incredibly physical. Um, for someone that's not sporty, that's weird. But <laughs> but I, I finally found something that I I really enjoyed. And then to be told that I could actually make money off it, whether it was going to be a living or not at the start, I didn't know. But that was a bonus. I was like, why not? Why, why wouldn't I? So I think the more invested you get in a world that supports you, the more you want to give back. And that's really perpetuated my whole career with Paul Davis. Do you ever worry? I mean, obviously, at this point in your career, I can't, I can't imagine security is an issue for you. Did, did it ever concern you about the idea I'll of... I worry all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, I think, um, and I'm being really honest and candid with you, like I, I do, um, 
I worry about my relevance in the industry. Um, I worry about the impact I can have on people. Um, I worry about, you know, what happens when no one wants to learn from me anymore? <laughs> like, I, and 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 I know that they are, you know, really irrational um, fears, and I know um, I, I would never sit on my laurels ever. Um, so I, I, I feel like I've, I'm I'm always trying to find ways to give back and make sure I am worth the money and all that sort of stuff as well, because I do genuinely love what I do. Um, and I think I've seen that in the industry enough of people that have decided they don't like teaching or it's not for them or, you know, they, they've really like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of killed them a little bit. They just want to do something for them because it, it, it is quite an emotionally draining, um, sort of thing. Like I said, you're, you know, talking to people who are using pole as an outlet for, or whatever escapism, you know, from, from their life. So, um, it can be really taxing, um, psychologically in that sort of sense too. And I can see, I see people burn out. So, um, uh, but I know in myself having been doing it for so long and still having that same fire for it that I did at the start, if not a bigger one or a slightly different one, um, I, I I don't think that's going to happen as long as I am passionate and I really give a shit about what I'm doing. I feel like, um, I will be successful in that sense. Um, but yeah, I'm always worried about, you know, my body and, you know, like what if I, you know, injure myself and I can't teach or which, you know, I don't know. Um, there's always concerns, but thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you being sarcastic nah, or not. Um, no, like, but, but I, I guess this is, this is the thing. We are all human. We all have our worries and all have our concerns. And as you said, you know, the, the beauty of pole for you was that it's, it's, it's human and it's relatable and it's welcoming. And I think part of, cause my, my specialty is mental health. So this is very much wow. within my, my area of expertise, but I think it's really important to acknowledge the negative stuff. It's, you know, yes, it's good to be positive. It's good to be optimistic. That's, that's all definitely true. As well. I mean, you know, I'm doing a physical job and, um, I will in fact only get older. Um, but I think as well as, um, I don't know, like if I was in a different industry that had been around for a very long time, let's say medicine, yeah. there's, you know, been so many careers for, you know, eons before you that have kind of forged, you know, a way. So, you know, there are, certain pathways that are already set up um, that people can pursue. Um, and I think the exciting part and the terrifying part of our industry is that it is new and um, well, new-ish, like, you know, we don't know where it's going. It's constantly evolving. It's um, internationally huge. I mean, like I was told it was a fad when I first started teaching mm. and I'm so lucky it's not a fad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's testament to what we have to offer, and I think that's that's incredibly exciting. But yeah, also a little bit terrifying because you're just not sure what your place or what your relevance will be in that industry in the next five, ten years. And I guess even like economically, like we are, we are, you know, a um, I don't know if we're a luxury item. I would actually say now that we're a staple in a lot of people's <laughs> lives um, because of that community. It is sort of invaluable. But um, I, I I wouldn't know what to say if you know. There was any sort of economic crisis where people went, well, I can't, I can't afford to, you know, have that much fun anymore. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, um, even though I do, um, wholeheartedly believe that we offer so much more than just a, a physical service. Like I said, that community and um, that, you know, companionship and um, having a whole group of people go through exactly what you're doing in the, you know, psychological development that people um, go through is is truly invaluable. But um, yeah, that's that's also scary, you know. 
Yeah, and I think you you acknowledging it, you being what you know, quite an impressive person who has built a very you know uh, an excellent career. I think <laughs> being able to well, no, you've achieved quite a bit, but to acknowledge those worries, I think, is really valuable for people because it can be really. I, I, I look, I, I could see how people could be really, really daunted by the kind of things that you've done, but to, to for you to be able to say, yeah, well, I have worries too, makes it feel accessible. It means that. You know, you don't have to be this, like like with the Olympics thing, you don't have to be this supreme, spectacular, magnificent athlete. You just have to want it. You just have to love it. Exactly. And if you... And, and what's a better motivator than fear, to be honest? Like, <laughs> I know everyone says, you know, that, um, uh, you know, n- nothing, oh God, what's the comfort zone nothing thing? Nothing to fear <laughs> You know, itself. like nothing gets achieved within your comfort zone uh-huh. or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of um, testament to that, but it, it, it's true. Like if you're, um, you know, afraid of being poor, do something about it. If you're afraid of um, not being relevant or, you know, becoming obsolete, do something about it. And I think that's just um, such a great um, incentive to, you know, make the most of what you're doing and um, not that I'm constantly driven by fear. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take that out of this conversation. But um, it, it, it's exciting in the same way I find skydiving thrilling, you know. It's slightly unknown. It's a big rush, but you know, it's it's a little bit dangerous. I like it. Well, that's good, and obviously, it's it's worked well for you and driven you, and give, you know, you've turned that energy that could be fear, you've turned it into ambition, and that's a really positive way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I think for me, like, so some of my experiences, I, I, you, you mentioned earlier about the fear of being poor. I think for me, I have conflicting fears. I have a fear of being poor, but I also have a fear of being stuck in a job because it earns me money. Uh, and and yeah. in a way, you obviously, as you said, you faced that early on. Where interestingly, although although the the way you felt about it was different, you were told that you were good at your job. Like with with your with your IT job, you were told that you were good. You were you were being you know given option op- opportunities to it, rise. It up to was the lies. I was so bad. <laughs> oh. Well, no, someone someone must have perceived you to be good. But there's a very big difference between being loving something and being good at something. They're two very mm. different experiences, and they don't always match. So it seemed to me that for you, yes, you were you 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 may not have thought you were good at, but someone else has thought you were doing a good job. And maybe because you have a good work ethic, maybe because you have the dedication. Maybe because you have the in, in, innate educational skills, you you were, did well, but you didn't love it. Like it just wasn't something that you wanted to pursue, and it was it wasn't you weren't getting anything out of it that was worth persisting further, even if it ne- may have necessarily provided you with job security. Theoretically, um, you went and found something and did something just for the love of it. I mean, yes, you had the teaching opportunities. It wasn't like you were jumping headfirst into, you know, a, a pit of debt. You weren't just like like a lot of creative it artists. It was an who... incredible pay cut. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really fun. Oh, God. But, but, but yeah, no, I, and, and, and I think, yeah, that is, um, I really, I really wish a lot more people um, would do that. I think um, I grew up um, quite poor, so I, I always have a bit of a sense of, um, well, okay, well, you can live your dream, but you also have to support the dream. So, mm. so, so there's always this, um, this kind of like uh, rational side to the ambition, <laughs> which kind of um, keeps it on a on a good balance. Um, but I think that's fantastic that you know, like you, you might you know have decided to you know break out of that that rat race if you're not you know happy where you are um, later in life or earlier in life. I don't think it really matters where it happens because a lot of people. Um, 
you know, you grow out of things as well. Mm. What might have been your, your dream career after, you know, a few decades in it might turn out to not be. Mm. So, you know, people are always changing and I think um, being able to adapt and change with, with what you want to do is fantastic too. So on that, what for any aspiring professional pole dancers out there, what advice would you want to give them? What, what things would you have wanted to know earlier on in your career that would have been beneficial now? Um, oh, look, that's, that's really hard to say because I think the, the, our industry is quite different um, now as to when it was then. But I guess I always learn, um, well, follow your gut, um, say yes to all the work. <laughs> because honestly like I did I did some really awful gigs I got paid once (laughs) okay so I used to um I used to have a friend who was in a band and he said well wouldn't it be cool if we had you pole dancing on stage like nothing too sexy but just you know it'd be cool they were like really psychedelic and I was like all right all right cool all right done awesome no worries and (laughs) I was poor he was poor and he paid me in a (laughs) suvlaki And I, t- and I took it and I was like, you know what, best of lucky ever. I mean, like, I, I, I think saying yes to as much as you can, as long as it doesn't compromise any of, you know, your, you know, morals or, you know, ethics. Um, I think it, it, it's really important. I think experience is the best teacher as well. I mean, as soon as you do something and you don't like it, you know, not to do it again. So um, I really like that trial and error within reason, of course, but I really like that trial and error kind of way of, of exploring what you want within your career as well. Um, and like I said, not um, everything's permanent. Like, like not everything is permanent. It's, you know, most things can be undone. Mm. Um, so um, it is really exciting. That's good. All right. Uh, is there anything you'd like to promote before we finish up? Um, well, I guess if you're interested in um, furthering, like if you're a pole dancer um and you're looking at furthering your education, whether because you want to teach, because you are a current teacher and you'd like a little bit more um, information and guidance, um, you can look up the Miss Philly Institute. Um, it is Miss Philly Institute on Instagram. Um, if you're looking at coming and doing pole dancing, hit us up at Pole Divas. Um, we have seven studios across Victoria. Um, I'm currently at the Pole Divas Mooney Pond Studio um, in Holmes Road and have been for 10 years. Um, but if you're interested, um, hit us up at www au and find a studio near you and come and chat to us brilliant well thanks for the chat philly that was awesome thank you so much for having me that was really fun cool uh so thanks for the listeners for sticking around i uh, hope you enjoyed what you heard if you did please make sure you check out our other podcasts which can be found again on any other any uh, good podcast providers and on our website nosmalljobspod.com.au thanks for listening and remember there are no small jobs only jobs you haven't discovered yet 